Matthew chapter 9, verse 9 through 13. Sorry, I did not um, put a, that verse on the slides there. So you have to look at your Bibles and follow through uh, with me. As Jesus passed on from there, he saw a man called Matthew sitting at the text booth. And he said to him, follow me. And he rose and followed him. And as Jesus reclined at table in the house, behold, many text collectors and sinners came and were reclining with Jesus and his disciples. And when the Pharisees saw this, they said to the disciples, Why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? But when he heard it, he said, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. For I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. Let's pray. Our God and our Father in heaven, this is your word and we want to hear from you. So we ask that you bless this time. Help our hearts, Lord, to focus on what you have to say. And Lord, I pray for every year here that, Lord, Father, they will be able to heed what you say from your word. And Lord, help me to speak with clarity in Jesus' name. Amen. As you may see there on that slide, our topic for today is a heart for the lost. This topic is very important for the church because we are surrounded by unbelievers wherever we are. That there are many unbelievers around us should keep us busy and should encourage us to go out and share the gospel. I might have forgotten the kids. The way that you look for is sinners. It's there somewhere in the next slide. Okay, there we go. It's actually put in there. But I need to always remember the little ones. So apologies for that. That there are a lot of unbelievers around us should encourage us to go out and take the gospel. Sharing it and telling people that they need to come to Christ. However, many a times when you look around, when we look at ourselves as, you know, believers, instead of being out there, instead of being encouraged and going out all the time, it's like we get used to the idea that there are unbelievers around us to the point where we're not as moved as we're supposed to be moved when we see unbelievers. We many a times live our lives as if they do no longer exist. My hope is to challenge you today, is to encourage you to change how you look at people, to challenge you to look at the people around you in a different way, to look at every man that you meet, every woman that you meet on the street in a different way. In 2 Corinthians 5 verse 16, Paul says, For from now on, therefore, we consider no one according to the flesh. We must treat people 
Not because of how they look on the outside. When we look at people, we must not just judge them from how they look on the outside, but from what they have on the inside. If a person that we meet, a person that we see is an unbeliever, they are a mission field for us. And guess what? We are sent to them. And just so you can understand the opportunity we have as a church, listen to some statistics for those who love numbers. According to the UN, by last year, November the 15th of 2022, they had estimated or they projected that the population, the world population, was going to reach the 8 billion mark. The Joshua Project estimates that of the people in the world today, over 42% of those people are unreached. And what they mean by unreached people is that these are people who have no opportunity to hear the gospel. They do not have a chance to hear about the love of God. They do not have a Bible even in their language. So for them, there is no opportunity of hearing the good news that we always talk about. The numbers that we hear of are scary. They're big numbers. And it reminds us of the opportunity and the work that still remains to take out the gospel. And that task is given to the church. If you are a believer, it is given to you and me. And while we think of the unreached people, while we think of the nations that are out there, important as they are, we must not forget that there are people who are reached, people who have the Bible in their language, people who have churches everywhere where they can walk in and hear the gospel, but yet they are not saved. There are people who, st- who stay around this church here and many other churches that you know, but those people will still not be saved today. I want us to think about people like that without forgetting the unreached that are out there. I want us to think about the rich that you know, the rich people that you know, the people in your campuses for the students, the people in your workplaces, people in your family, people that are your neighbors, that lady that you pass every day on the street, that guy that you pass every day on the street, the guy in the parking lot asking for that two rand, that lady that you go and buy whatever biscuits or bananas or fruits from sitting on that street. I want us to think about the people that are there, the opportunity that God has given us of the people that are just there around us. Although we know these people have access to the gospel, if they still not believe, they are our mission field and we are to go to them. So there are three points that I want us to look at from the text that we have read. And I want us to think about the lost. And we look at the example of the Lord Jesus Christ in how he treated people who are called sinners. The first point that we're going to look at is Jesus, the friend of sinners. And we're going to look at verse 9 to 10. The second point, the self-righteous sinners, that means this, the, Jesus. There are those that are self-righteous. They are so self-righteous that they miss Jesus. That is in verse 11. And the third and last point we're going to discuss is the sinners that Jesus saves. And we're going to look at verse 12 and 13. And now if we go to our text, 
Verse 9, there says, As Jesus passed on from there, he saw a man called Matthew sitting at the text booth. The question that we have to ask when we hear something like that is, where was Jesus going? Where was he coming from? And what was he doing? The setting of this scene is very, very important. And the area where this is taking place is very, very important. It was happening in Capernaum. Capernaum was a small fishing village, an agricultural village. It was a commercial center of the eastern part of Galilee. And it lay on the path that connected the major routes that traveled that ancient land. There was a route that passed all the way from Egypt, going up to all the other countries in the north. It would pass through this strategic area called Capernaum. Capernaum is very important in the gospel because that is where the ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ in Galilee was centralized. That is the place that the Lord Jesus Christ chose as his hometown when he moved from Nazareth. I'm sure we know he was born in Nazareth. But he moved from Nazareth and when he started his ministry, he moved and he stayed in Capernaum. And that was like where, you know, his, his headquarters were. He traveled to all places from Capernaum. And in our passage, before he comes and he calls Matthew, if you read above in that chapter, Jesus had just healed the paralytic. The paralytic was brought to the Lord Jesus Christ by four men. And so he heals him after seeing their faith. It is after this healing miracle that Jesus went out and walked by the sea of Galilee, where he continued to teach the crowd that was following him. And as he passed by, he saw Matthew, who was sitting by his text booth. Matthew was a text collector, and text collectors like Matthew were Jews who worked to collect taxes on behalf of the government. And the government of the day was the Roman government. They were the occupiers of the land and the rulers of Israel. So Matthew, like many other tax collectors, they were like subcontractors that were working for the, this government. They had bought franchises from the Roman government and they would collect their taxes. What they were required to do as franchises is that they would collect a certain amount of money that was actually just set for them to collect and they would send it to Rome. And anything that they collected beyond what was specified, they could keep for profit. It was for them. And because of the power of taxation, and because of the support that these tax collectors had of the Roman military guards that were always around, they could even use force to get money from the people who would not pay taxes. So tax was the main thing. You know governments work and operate because of money that is brought in. And they took it serious. And these soldiers were cruel if they needed to be, if the money did not come. And the tax collectors used that opportunity so that they do not fail on their commitments. They would actually punish people to make sure that the people give what they're supposed to give. For those reasons, the tax collectors were, 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 were considered as traitors. They were considered as traitors by their own people. They were despised. Sometimes even more despised than the Roman soldiers themselves. Because they were Jews. These guys were doing this were Jews. Local people like Matthew were actually preferred by the Roman government for this type of work. Why? Because they knew their way around. They knew the people. They knew the business of whatever that was going on around there. So they were the preferred candidates. But even as they sat on those polls, their own people were like, how do you work against 
us and you work for these people who are occupying our land. You know this land was given to us by God. We are the Israelites. And there you are, accepting what these guys are doing. You're collecting taxes for them. You're actually even sometimes willing to punish us for them. So people did not like tax collectors. By nature of their position, they had no other choice. Their loyalty was first to Rome. They looked to Rome. They did everything for Rome. Often these people, the tax collectors, were very corrupt or perceived as corrupt. They would collect more than was necessary because if they collected more, they could keep the rest for themselves. As long as they gave Rome what they wanted, the rest could be for them. For them. They, took, they took bribes so that they, they do not charge the rich. They falsify finances for the rich so that the rich do not have to pay much as long as the rich can give them the bribe. They exploited the poor and took from the poor so they can have more. The more they had was just enlarging and enlarging their world. Because of their dealings, these men were usually very wealthy. They gained wealth at the expense of their own people and by the assistance of Rome. And no wonder their people hated them and says, we don't want these people. They were looked down. No one wanted to associate with people like that. They knew they were hated, but they had the money. They couldn't care less. Capernaum being a major trading route, as I said, that it connected places and major routes passed through it. We read there that Matthew was sitting in a text booth as a text collector. Matthew, it's possible that he was a text collector that dealt with taxes that had to do with tolls for those that actually passed goods around the area that was there. What we also can see there is that he is the one who's sitting in the text booth. And it's possible again that Matthew was really that small. That he was there sitting and doing work himself in that text booth. It means he was a small text collector. Because there were big text collectors. And one of those examples that we find in the Bible is Zacchaeus. The small man who actually went over the tree, on top of the tree, just to see the Lord Jesus Christ. When we read, he is called the chief tax collector. Chief tax collectors were the big bosses. They had people working even for them. Their franchises were even bigger. Matthew was just a small guy. Still hated, but you know, his enterprise was not that much big. But still hated, not liked. But what I want us to see in verse 9, and what is striking is that when Jesus saw Matthew, he did not just see a tax collector. Instead, he saw a man in need of salvation. He saw Matthew for who Matthew was really, really was. A sinner. Not because he was a tax collector, but because he was like any other man. A man born into sin since the fall of Adam. Everyone else who looked at Matthew and says tax collector despised him. They were not different from Matthew. And when Jesus looked at Matthew, he saw a man who was just like all the other people that were around him. A man who needed to be saved. Matthew might have looked like he had everything under control. 
He looked like he had everything, you know, he had all the money. We know how people live all their lives pursuing money. Matthew had that. If he wanted more, he could charge more. If he wanted more, he could get soldiers to go, you know, and push other people and get more. That was nothing for him. He was empty. He did not have God, so he could not have had hope. He had a burden. He was carrying a burden that no one else could remove. Not even himself. Not even his money could remove it. He was regarded as an outcast by the religious leaders. Those who were supposed to help him take off the burden and understand the burden that he has of sin regarded him as an outcast. They didn't even want to associate with him. So it was like he's out there in the dark by himself without any hope of ever coming to the light. But that was not so with the Lord Jesus Christ. He comes to the scene He's walking around. So many people are around him. They're following him from when he did the miracle and healed the paralyzed man. He comes down and the Lord Jesus Christ sees Matthew and is drawn to him. He sees the sinner who needs to be saved. He had mercy on him. The text does not say Jesus had mercy on him when he saw him. But we know the heart of our Lord. He cares for sinners. He cares for the broken. It is Jesus himself who invites all who are broken to come to him. Look at what Matthew later writes in in chapter 11. He says, about the Lord Jesus Christ says, Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. That is the call that Jesus has to the sinners. He says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me. I For I am gentle and lowly in heart. And you will find rest for your souls. That is the heart of Jesus. Later on, Matthew, quoting the prophet Isaiah about the actions and the demeanor and the demeanor of the coming Messiah who was promised, who was to come. Matthew 12, verse 18 to 21. Quoting Isaiah, he says, Behold, my servant whom I have chosen, my beloved with whom my soul is well pleased. Verse 20. A bruised reed, he will not break. And a smoldering wig, he will not quench. That is the attitude of our Savior. Matthew, the text collector, was that bruised reed. He was fit for nothing of spiritual significance in the eyes of the religious people. He was an outcast. Like a bruised reed, the only thing that was good for him was to be cut and thrown away. He was of no use, particularly to those guys with the big long robes. They did not want to even see them. But when Jesus saw him, he had compassion on him. And he called him to follow him. Jesus' call was the call of salvation to a man who probably believed that he was nothing. Matthew could not resist the power of Jesus' call. And so he rose up and he followed him. Matthew's actions signified his conversion. He left his previous life behind and he followed the Lord Jesus Christ. And he never looked back. That was the start of a new life for him. There is no evidence in all the gospel that that records this account that there was any prior meeting between Matthew and the Lord Jesus Christ or any interactions between them. Until that moment when the Lord Jesus Christ says, come. 
follow me. However, since Capernaum was a small city, though it was central in terms of the economic activities, it was small. And because the Lord Jesus Christ stayed there and he did other miracles around, it is possible that Matthew knew about the Lord Jesus Christ and the work that he was doing because the word was spreading everywhere about the Lord Jesus Christ and what he was doing. We only see that Matthew was ready to leave everything the minute the call was made. So it is possible that Matthew was already convicted of his sin and he knew he needed forgiveness. They knew that what they were doing was wrong. When we read of the account of John the Baptist, when he was baptizing different people that were coming to him, he told the text collectors, when they said, what should we do? When he says, repent, they said, what should we do? He says, stop taking more than what you need. So they knew exactly what they were doing and they knew it was wrong. So there Matthew goes, he left a good paying job, a comfortable life in exchange of eternal life. The Lord Jesus Christ said, those who lose their life for his sake will find it. And that is what happened to Matthew. He was given a new start, a new life. And today, the book we just read, this gospel that we just opened, was written by the same man that the Lord Jesus Christ called. The man that the people of the time would have regarded as useless, as a nobody. The Lord Jesus Christ saw a man in need of salvation and he called him. And today we have the gospel written by the same man. God is able to do what we cannot do. And we need to praise God who is able to take despised men like Matthew, a religious outcast, and make him into an apostle whose name will be on the foundation of the new city, the new Jerusalem, when we read in Revelation 21, verse 14. So in verse 9, we see Jesus, a friend of sinner, a friend of a sinner like Matthew, a friend of sinners of all who are like Matthew. He runs and he goes after him when everyone else is ignoring him. And Jesus does not write anyone off, as we can see. And because he does not write anyone off, so we must not. It is for us and a reminder that we must not write anyone off like people of the time had written people like Matthew off. Jesus is indeed a friend of sinners. You think he's done. You move to verse 10. What do we see? Again, we see Jesus' heart by how he goes further to go and dine with more outcasts. Matthew writes there that Jesus had reclined the table in the house. There were more tax collectors that came and more sinners came. You're like, what's going on here? It's like he's just attracted by more sinners, to, to more sinners, and they're coming to him. Matthew does not tell us everything about what happened for the Lord Jesus Christ to end up reclining at the table with the people that he was with. And I guess Matthew was maybe trying to be very humble because he's the one who wrote the gospel and the story that he's writing is actually about him. I think he was trying to be humble in terms of how he reported what happened. But basically what happened is 
after he got saved, Matthew threw a party for the Lord Jesus Christ. We find that in Luke 5, verse 29. Matthew held a very big feast for the Lord Jesus Christ. And as he did that, it was not for the Lord Jesus Christ and the fear of the other disciples. Matthew went out and called more tax collectors. He went and called the sinners. Says, come, you're going to dine in my house tonight. You know what? There is a savior for people like you. Matthew's actions show his joy. It shows his gratitude for what God had done for him. For the new life that he had. Because he was forgiven much, he was able to love much. He did not want to forget the people that he lived life with. He didn't want to forget the tax collectors that were doing the same stuff that he was doing. And all the others that were considered as sinners. This was the meeting of Jesus and all the outcasts of society. Do we see what grace and mercy is able to do in a person's life? Do we see how a heart that is dead in sin is able to be changed by grace and mercy of the Lord Jesus Christ? Matthew showered the Lord Jesus Christ with his love and he says to his friends, come along. We read that around the table there were tax collectors like Matthew but there's this other group of people that are of interest here. Sinners. Like, who are sinners? I mean, all people are sinners, but who are these sinners? Sinners in those days referred to two special groups. The first group was just the majority of all the Jews. Majority of the Jews who did not follow the stricter laws that, are, that were uh, led by the Pharisees. These were people who were not perfect like the Pharisees actually expected them to be because they had so high standards. So majority of the people fell within that category. The second group that would be regarded as sinners at the time referred to the grievous sinners, the bad of the bad, the criminals, the prostitutes, the drunkards, the murderers, all that is bad that you can think of. The most disgraceful type of people in society. And it is this second group that Matthew seems to refer to when he, when he says sinners. It is impossible to think that he could be referring to the first group when majority of the Jews, including some disciples of the Pharisees, fell within that category. No one wanted to associate with the second group. No one wanted to associate with the bad of the bad. Because if you did, you actually risked being kicked out of the gatherings of the Jewish people. Actually, one of the reasons tax collectors were even regarded as ceremonially unclean and had to keep their distance is because they were always in contact with Gentiles. You're there, you're sitting, you're collecting tax. You have all these people who come from everywhere. You're interacting with them and make you unclean. So you'd rather stay there. We don't want to actually interact with you. That was the attitude towards people like that. Jesus' heart for sinners is seen in how he did not refuse Matthew's call. He did not refuse Mercy's invitation to say, come dine at my house. I'm sure the Lord Jesus Christ knew that the people who hang around with Matthew are just people like Matthew. But he didn't say, no, Matthew, I think there's more of you guys. I don't want to come there. The Lord Jesus Christ accepted the invitation. And he went. 
He used every opportunity. Our Lord used every opportunity to be around unbelievers so they could hear from him, so that he could teach them, so that they could be able to see him. So we see that Jesus was a friend of sinners in that he came to save sinners and was very pleased to welcome sinners who were open to the gospel. Sorry for their sins and on their way to putting faith in him. He did not avoid them. And it does not mean that because he did not avoid them, he condoned sin. He actually promoted sin. It doesn't mean that he says, no, he wants them to sin more. No. But it's so that they can stop, so they can have life, so they can be changed. He is the Savior who cares about the lost. He is merciful, and it hurts him and moves him to see people in sin. And that is why he has come down to save sinners, whom all of us are. What about us? Do we want unbelievers to know Jesus? Do we want unbelievers to see Jesus? Because he was a friend of sinners. Are we friends of sinners? Second point. The self-righteous sinners miss Jesus in verse number 11. When the Pharisees saw this, they said to his disciple, Why is your teacher there, eating with tax collectors and sinners. Here again we see the real character of these religious leaders. Their attitude towards these sinners comes out clear here. They could not believe that Jesus was actually just doing this. They had to verbalize it. They come and they verbalize it like, why? It was bad enough to just greet a sinner like that. It was bad enough to just, you know... Bump him when he's walking, which they would try even and avoid. But Jesus is sitting and is eating with them. He's sitting on the table, dining with them. And they could not believe it. They could, it was like unthinkable for them. That meant Jesus took these people as his friends. I mean, Jesus, you're walking around, you are teaching, you're saying it in this powerful truth. And we can see there's some power in what you're doing. And there's some truth, powerful truth in what you're saying. But you're doing this. Why? They're amazed. And to show that they actually had some respect for the Lord Jesus Christ. They actually did not go to him directly. They went to his disciples and spoke to his disciples. They saw him as a teacher indeed. And they regarded him as a teacher. So they didn't go to him would be disrespect. They went to his disciple and says, but look at your teacher. What is he doing? When we read there, it says they saw. And when we read that, I do not think it necessarily means that they were actually there themselves. I mean, I just explained how they would not want to be anywhere close to those people. So it is possible here that they could have seen it from outside. Whatever that was happening inside that house, they could have seen it and check what's actually just going on then. Or it could have been reported to them by their own disciples because they had a special interest on the Lord Jesus Christ. So they, some people might have seen what was going on and went and reported to this guy, says, hey, it's happening on the other side. So when it says they saw, they're not necessarily saying they're there, they are actually seeing what's going on. They're not part of that gathering. 
they could not be anywhere close to those people. And that's why they were like, really, Jesus? You're going to do that? Because we will not do something like that. Their actions are very bad. And I hope we're not like that. And we don't want to be like that. What we see about these guys is that they were to- the total opposite of what Jesus was. They just lacked compassion. They lacked mercy at all. They, there was no mercy in their hearts. They were leaders who were supposed to teach people, show people the way, but they did not care about people by themselves. They care about being clean, ceremonially clean, done to be made unclean by these people. People would rather die in their sin than for them to come close to them. They did not have a God of God, nor did they understand who God is. They were self-absorbed and concerned only about their outward appearance. And as a result, they missed the opportunity to lead sinners to God. And they missed Jesus. They missed what Jesus was doing for others and what Jesus could do for them because their focus was on something else. The good news is that Jesus even cared for these Pharisees. When they asked, why is he doing that? Jesus cared for them and guess what he does? He responds. He did not just leave them and says, I ignore these guys. The Lord Jesus Christ comes and he responds. He wanted them to see him. The Lord Jesus Christ wanted them to see him. So they could stop trusting in themselves. So they could stop trusting in their works. So they can find forgiveness and salvation that he came to provide for people like them. And every other person who was walking on the earth. And he responded. And that leads us to the third and last point. The sinners Jesus saves. Verse 12 and 13. But when he heard, he heard it, he said, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. For I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. Jesus' disciples must, must have informed him of the concerns that the Pharisees had. And when he responds, he actually responds to show them two things. The first thing, he shows them that they were, concerned about the right, they were not concerned about the right things. And the second thing that he shows them is that he came for sinners. Sinners who acknowledge their sin. And sinners who are open even to the gospel. And we will see how that works out. And to make his point, the Lord Jesus Christ goes and he uses the analogy of human health. We have a lot of people who are in medicine here. People who are like dealing with people there in hospitals. And even for some of us who are not necessarily doctors or studying medicine or dealing with the sick, we know how it works. The sick are the ones that go to the doctor. Not the healthy. And that is a simple example that the Lord Jesus Christ, he goes and he takes. He spoke to them as a teacher. He uses an example like that because he cares for these guys. He cares for these Pharisees. He wants them to understand. 
So he speaks to them as a teacher. Takes a simple example. But it's loaded. This example is loaded with spiritual meaning. The sick here are those who are sinners. They are sick because of their sin. They have no relationship with God. Again, in this example, those who are well are those who are righteous. They know God. And they don't just say, we know God. The righteous are those that know God and are known by God. Jesus is the doctor. He is the great physician who alone is able to cure sin. The sinners and the tax collectors that were around him were the sick. They needed the medication that only Jesus could provide to cure their sickness. And Jesus was not going to turn them away. He's a responsible doctor. He was not going to turn them away. As the Pharisees expected him to. As they wanted him to. And what is said in this is that the Pharisees thought they were well and righteous. They thought they had it all together. They thought they were healthy. And they needed a doctor. And that was their problem. Their problem was bigger than they could imagine. Theirs was an issue that was very serious. The issue of the heart. And in verse 13, Jesus tells them, go and learn the, what the words of Hosea mean. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. Hosea 6.6. 6. These words were words of rebuke. Because the Pharisees claimed to have been learned in the law of God. But they did not understand simple basic things of what God really wanted and what God desired of their lives. Even as leaders, as spiritual leaders. Jesus was not saying to them, go to a class somewhere. He wanted them to actually just pause, slow down, understand the point of this law that you talk about. What God meant when he said through Hosea, I desire mercy and not sacrifice. In that text in Hosea, God was calling Israel to have loyal love to him. And not just lip service. It was not about lip service. Israel at that time was like an unfaithful woman to her husband. They were going out, doing all the bad things and worshipping idols. And God was saying, I don't want all these things. I want your heart. And if you know me, you would actually act in line with what you know about me. Because you know what I desire. God desires mercy. God is broken for the broken. He's broken for the sinners. The Pharisees lacked mercy. They were far from God. They were happy to focus on religious rituals and let people die. Write people off. But Jesus was not so. He was committed to loving God and doing his will. The text exalts Jesus and his mercy towards sinners. And I think that is the point that Matthew wanted us to see in this text. He wanted even for the people that he wrote to who were Jewish at the time 
to see that Jesus is that promised Messiah, that Savior of the world, that God had promised for them that he was going to come. The one who was not going to cut off and break that bruised reed. Jesus was the one that was going to take away the sins of the world. And he was putting him in this place. says, look at this Jesus. And in our text, Jesus ends by reminding everyone of his mission. And that is, he came not to call the righteous, but sinners. Basically, when Jesus called Matthew and later went to his house and dined with him, that was part of Jesus accomplishing his mission here on earth. He came for sinners. He came for tax collectors. He came for you and me. He came for people that you know that are not saved. Jesus saves people who know they are sinners. Jesus saves people who understand that they have fallen short of the standard of God. God is holy and all men are not apart from the Lord Jesus Christ. But no one will be saved unless he understands that he needs Jesus. Those who are like the Pharisees who are sinful, yet think of themselves as righteous, miss the forgiveness that Jesus provides. And we know many people like that today. We know them. They do not understand their problem. They think all is well. Many people go in and out of church. You walk around, you're sharing the gospel, they said, I am Christian. Far from it when you look at their lives. Some people speak about the Lord Jesus Christ and say his name. They do not understand who he is. They do not understand the significance of the Lord Jesus Christ. You talk about the gospel. People say we listen to gospel music. You're like, what is the gospel? Tell us what is this good news you talk about. They have no idea. How can they be saved if they do not understand? And you and me, even as we sit here today, have the privilege. You and me, we have been opened. Our eyes have been opened. Our hearts have been moved and touched and given life. We know what the gospel is. We know what Christ has done. We know who Christ is. And we know the problem of all men, that it is their sin. And we have the privilege to tell them We have the privilege to declare this good news. We're able to tell them that yes, you have a big problem, but the solution has been provided by God. And now in closing, the question, even as we think about the heart for the lost, are you a friend of sinners? We are surrounded by all these unbelievers our families, our brothers, our sisters, our parents, in our school, in that bus, wherever you are, they are there. Look around you, where you live. Jesus came for them. He lived the perfect life for them. He took their punishment so that they can find forgiveness if they put their faith in him. But some of them, as I have said, don't know it. Are you concerned for them? Are you? And you know why? Because Jesus is. Jesus is concerned for them. 
Yesterday I was like somewhere in Johannesburg and one man, even as we were talking, reminded and he was saying in that meeting, he says, in every corner of the world, there is no place where there are people and the people of God that God, Christ died for, that his blood is not crying, mine, 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 mine. He cares for them. Do we? Because we love Jesus, we want to make him known. So that people can come and worship him. So that people can come and worship the one through God. For God is worthy of worship. He made us to worship him. And if people are not worshiping the true God, they are our mission field. What should motivate us to do this is not guilt. That is not my point. What should motivate us should not be fear. We would have missed the point. What should motivate us should be love for God. He loved us so much, like Matthew. So we want to love much. I don't want you to live here feeling down and beating yourself. I would have missed the point of what I was trying to do. Instead, I want you to see the privilege we have. The privilege of being used by God to make himself known in the world. It is a privilege. For we are ambassadors. We have been commissioned. We sent out. We are the soldiers of God. He did not give this to other people, powerful people that you might think of. He didn't go to like an Elon Musk and said, you're going to build a spaceship. He's going to put it up there. Everyone will see and they will not doubt. I am God. No. He came to us in Pretoria West. Put us in a hall, in a school, just so that we can declare his love. Praise be to God for salvation that he has worked for us in his son. And so what do you do as you live here today? What do you do? I have four things that I think maybe they're worth considering doing. Meditate on Jesus' heart for the lost. Read the gospel and see his heart. See how he's broken. How he sees people walking around. He says, look at this sheep without a shepherd. Look at this harvest that is there. That there are no laborers there. The harvest is so plentiful. See his heart and meditate on it. Pray for passion for the lost. Spend time with mission-oriented people. Don't just hang out with people that are just not excited about the eternal things. Join evangelistic efforts organized by the church, GC, many things that are being done in this church. Join in that and make Christ known. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we, we need you. There's nothing we can do here on this earth without your assistance. You have commissioned us, you have sent us out to make your name known. But we know we will fail a thousand times if we go by ourselves. We want to thank you for the privilege you have given us to declare your name. And so, Lord, we pray you would give us that boldness that we need. We pray, Lord, that you would work in our hearts, that we would burn for sinners and the lost around us, our friends, our family. 
And that, Lord, we will live life focusing on eternal things. Where we want to see you being worshipped by every man from every tongue and every nation. Thank you for this privilege. In your name, the Lord Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen.